Welcome TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the didactic Robert Demena. Can you give me the definition of that one, please? I can. Didactic is intended to teach, particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive. A similar definition is in the manner of a teacher, particularly so as to treat someone in a patronizing way, which is not- That doesn't sound good. No, but that's not what you are. Because the whole point of this travel podcast is to basically help people want to travel and see how travel can help you. Right. I agree. Well, I thank you, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, all right. So uh, before we jump into the guest, um, real quick, the, the website we have up and running, we're throwing travel tour companies that we have uh, dealt with and have interviewed on the podcast into this tab. You can book with them directly. GJ Travel is always one that stands out to us because they offer incredible tours through Iceland and Greenland. Uh, and if you book through our website, you'll get 5% off of your trip. Other ones in Peru, Lima Gourmet Company, highly recommend. I mean, most of them, all of them, really, um, we would recommend because that's the reason we had them on the podcast. So so check it out if you're booking a trip somewhere abroad and, and hopefully we can help you out in that regard. Okay, so last week's trivia question was pertaining to our conversation with Joshua Biggers. And the question was, what is Joshua's favorite city? A very simple question with a very interesting answer. If you answered Antigua, Guatemala and sent that answer to us either via email or the direct messaging option on our social media sites, we will be reaching out to you with a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. Thank you for participating and tune in to the end of this episode to participate in this week's trivia question. So today's guest is, today's guest brought us through a step-by-step process on how we can become a more mindful and thoughtful traveler. And what does it mean to be a thoughtful traveler? And what impact are you having on the people and destinations you visit? We also got on to a great topic of travel books and discussed some of her favorite travel books in several travel-related topics, including adventure, travel, culture shock, and food. So without further introduction, Please welcome Amanda, the host of the Thoughtful Traveler podcast. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Amanda, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So you are our second guest, which we just learned from Perth. And it's very exciting. We now know twice as many people as we knew before. <laughs> <laughs> and that's two more than most people know uh, from Perth because uh, we're, uh, in fact, Wikipedia says, I don't know if you can always believe Wikipedia, but it says we're the most isolated city in the world. So we're oh. pretty far from everywhere. Interesting. Right. That is interesting. Mm. I have not heard that before. No. no, because nobody knows anything about Perth, but it's a long <laughs> way from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And most people think that Perth is right next to Sydney because it's Australia. Yeah. It's like nearly five hours flying time. Yeah. Do you get a lot of tourism to Perth? Look, more than we used to. It's a beautiful city, but, um, you know, it's not on the way to anywhere, really. So not heaps, but, you know, it's, a, it's so amazing. Like the beaches are incredible. Um, and the weather is perfect. So for those reasons, we do get, you know, a decent amount of tourism. But, um, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons we have, like, you know, the beaches are incredible because not too many people come here. So Right, right. Don't all rush here at once, please. Yeah, 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 slow it down a little bit. (laughs) Well, we quickly got sidetracked, and I just want to bring us back in to you, Amanda. So you you are the host of the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. You have your own website called notaballerina.com where you talk about travel and how to be a better, more thoughtful traveler and how to actually help and be thoughtful with the people at the destination. And then you also have this really cool traveling or traveler book club where everyone kind of comes together and you read some travel books and then you all talk about it. So Bob and I are excited to talk to you about what thoughtful travel means to you. And I think what Bob is really excited to talk about is what an unthoughtful traveler is. (laughs) Part of it, for sure. Well, I I think in order to to know what a thoughtful traveler is, you need to make sure you're not an unthoughtful traveler, right? So we'll learn everything. We'll, We'll go full circle here. 
Mm -mm. No, I think you're right. No one has ever asked me about an unthoughtful traveller before, (laughs) but that's kind of where my whole concept came from, was seeing unthoughtful travellers in action. And that made me kind of think, I don't want to be like that. So let me start from the positive side. So uh, thoughtful travel, I mean, it, it can mean anything to anyone, but basically it's what it says is that if you are thinking more, a bit more deeply about your travel, and I kind of break it into before, during and after, uh, and also you kind of have a bit of a focus on, on two parts, what the travel can do for you, because you know, travel can be amazing for you in so many ways, and um, what the travel can do for other people, like the people in your destination. So kind of if you combine all of that together, so sometimes it will be things like you know, eco-travel or sustainability, or it can be um, like mindful travel or slow travel or making sure you meet the locals or some kinds of volunteering and all of those kinds of things often kind of um, tangles themselves up with thoughtful travel, I suppose. Um, But to go back to the unthoughtful traveler, um, I think an unthoughtful traveler is someone who um, like they have this concept of just going somewhere to have a good time, which is fine. Absolutely nothing wrong with having a good time, but totally just have a good time possibly to the detriment of the locals uh, and not even thinking about the other things that you could get out of being um, in a different place, you know, whether that's abroad or somewhere else, you know, in your own country. Uh, That's to me is an an unthoughtful traveler. If you really just like the kind of traveler who just goes somewhere to, I don't know, have a lot of drinks and sit by the pool. I kind of feel like you can do that anywhere. You know, I guess that's kind of an unthoughtful traveler. They're going to behave the same way wherever they are. They're not thinking about it. They're just off they go. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what you said um, to the detriment of other people or the places that they're going to. So that to me, an unthoughtful traveler would abuse or view the destination more so like an amusement park than a city where people live and work and have daily lives. And when when and that happens, that happens often, I think, especially in these over touristy areas like maybe like Venice or something where people are so they show up and they're kind of far removed from the, the practice, like, you know, what it actually is. This is a city where people mm. actually work and, and, and live. And even more so, I think, I mean, for here, for here in Perth, the closest place we can fly to, it's even closer than the next city, um, next Australian city, is to fly to Bali. So it's the cheapest place we can go. A lot of Perth people will go just for the weekend. Several times a year, we'll fly to Bali. And um, that is a place where I often see unthoughtful travellers and it's almost worse than your example of Venice because not only do they pay no attention to, you know, the, the lives of the people around them, but they kind of have not, you know, absolutely not everyone, but there are, you know, there's an element of this. They have this feeling that, you know, they're superior. We as Australians are superior, mostly just because we're wealthier. No other reason than that. Um, and, you know, they, they don't, appreciate the culture they don't uh, acknowledge how to behave appropriately in a different culture and you know in a country with a different religion and things like that and you know you kind of you'll see these things kind of quite ugly Australians um, you know behaving badly and that's like the you know the ultimate unthoughtful traveler I think yeah I would agree with that and a, a, a neglect of culture mm, or, mm, or mm. An, a not not understanding some of the cultural practices of the new place you're visiting there yeah, so and not many... making any attempt to understand it in yeah. particular. And I think that's yeah. where the American traveler stigma comes from, is that uh, most people think that Americans, when they travel, expect you to speak English, that they can do whatever they want because they're American, and they can go wherever they want because they're American. I don't they're... think that's exclusive to Americans. <laughs> no, I don't think it is, but Americans def- <laughs> some Americans definitely feel that way about themselves. Yeah. 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 So do you have maybe a one or or several specific examples of how someone could go to a country and be a thoughtful traveler? What, what, how would they view the country? What planning would go into it? Uh, Things like that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I could speak to you for about 16 hours on this, but I'll try and give you a a brief example. This is my favorite topic. Um, Maybe I'll give you an example of of a trip that we, I took with my son recently. So he's nine and we um, kind of randomly ended up with flights going to Copenhagen in Denmark. And, you know, that's a country that has in some ways a similar culture to ours, but we still wanted to be um, thoughtful about it. And so a lot of the thoughtfulness comes in the planning um, not that I like plan everything in great detail, but I think about, uh, you know, what, what are we, what are we going to do and how can we do it in a way that 
will be good for us and good for the destination. So things like we wanted to rent bicycles because, well, we wanted to experience, you know, the great Danish lifestyle where, you know, most of them use a bike instead of a car, which sounds awesome because we're very, very car dependent here in Perth. Um, but then instead of just hiring a bike, we thought, well, what else can we do? So I did a bit of research and found um, like a so it was a social enterprise a, a great little company that rented bicycles, but they also were sending bicycles and uh, training people in Mozambique to be uh, bicycle repair people. So they were creating all these businesses in Mozambique and they'd like increase the number of people using bicycles over cars by this great percentage and stuff like that. So we supported them rather than just any old bicycle place in, in Copenhagen. So wow. that kind of thing. Um, and then when I think about accommodation, I try and find a really, you know, a thoughtful way to live somewhere. I love to stay somewhere in an apartment, um, you know, for as long as possible. In this case, we had about 10 days. Um, and that was it for Copenhagen. Um, you know, I would like to spend like a month, but we had 10 <laughs> days. And so we found an Airbnb where we could meet the, um, you know, meet the owner and get to know them and, you know, learn more about Copenhagen from them and that kind of thing. So I mean, there's just a couple of little examples, but that's the sort of thing, you know, even like a lot of people think it's really easy to be a thoughtful traveler if you go to um, a country that's poorer than yours or a country where they, you know, perhaps need more help, but you can go to a country that's wealthier than yours and still be a thoughtful traveler. I have a question about Airbnbs. When it comes to actually helping the communities, or is it it's is it always beneficial? Definitely not. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Airbnbs become quite tricky lately. So in the case of Copenhagen, I researched first, decided that um, the Airbnbs where people were still using them as their homes most of the year, or they were using like converted basements and stuff. They were not impacting like rental prices and stuff. But in a lot of cities, Airbnbs have forced rent prices up and okay. then the locals can't live there, you know, in the central city area in the same way that they would. So that can be, yeah, Airbnb can be actually quite detrimental. The original idea of Airbnb to kind of share space that was temporarily empty is awesome. But what it's become is not necessarily, in, yeah, sometimes it's detrimental. Okay. So the people that are buying a property to specifically just rent it out as Airbnb. So when you're searching for people that still live, do you look for things where you'll have a private room or like you said, a basement and you expect the family to either still be living there while you're there or maybe out part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I always also check, you know, in general in that city or in that destination, has Airbnb become a problem or not? Oh, uh, okay. So yeah, it's pretty easy to just like I will Google. I mean, we went to Osaka in Japan the year before and it had just started to become an issue. Uh, and that was for it's like, well, partly for the rent, but also for the reason that um, local people didn't necessarily want to have lots of um, like high turnover in the number of people staying, you know, in, in their neighbor, like being their neighbors, yeah. and rather than having a neighbor who lived there for 10 years, they would have every three days, there would be a new neighbor there. And that's, you know, unsettling and concerning for security. And, you know, maybe they don't take the trash out right and stuff like that. So, you know, that's also not great for the local people. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I really realized it was, I think July 2018, my wife was down in a conference in New Orleans and we stayed mm. at an Airbnb and the host had, was staying with us and there were just two private rooms and we had one of them, but we, he would like make coffee in the morning and we would just chat and he was talking about the whole issue with Airbnbs jacking up rental prices throughout uh, different parts of NOLA. And yeah, they no have some quite specific rules now, I think, don't they, in New Orleans? Yeah, in New Orleans and a lot of other communities and townships are establishing uh, short-term rental policies yeah. to essentially eliminate the two to three night stays. Which wow. I can understand. Yeah. 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 So, so staying in line with research, we, I, I think we have a good idea of what you should do as far as accommodations go. What else should someone research prior to, to going to their destination to make sure that they're a thoughtful traveler? Uh, well, I think this is something we've talked about for a long time in travel, but it's, it is really important is to research the culture and the, and the etiquette before you go. 
So, you know, simple things like do people take their shoes off to go inside? Um, tipping for people like us when we come to the States, understanding mm-hmm. how much and when to tip is really hard and actually quite stressful. So um, so whenever I, I always check, you know, in a, in a country I'm visiting, do I have to tip and, and how do I do it? Because I find that really stressful and I don't want to offend anyone. But, yep. you know, it's easy to do it without realising, especially if you don't do a bit of research first. So, um, yeah, those kinds of, you know, just kind of cultural etiquette kind of things, that that kind of research can go a long way. Um, but the other research that I really like to do is to learn more about, I don't know uh, how to describe, what makes the country tick. Like I love to read novels that are set in a country uh, or, you know, read about expats' experiences there and, you know, just find out how it's different to me uh, in, in my experience and what I might want to know more about. Like, a, again, in the case of Copenhagen, I really wanted to know more about the Danish education system because it's really different to Australia's and seems to be really successful. And as luck would have it, one of our Airbnb hosts was a school teacher. And so I had all this like prior, you know, prior knowledge and some ideas and I quizzed her endlessly to find out <laughs> what she was. So she was so happy to speak about it, you know, and I think she appreciated that I was, you know, that interested in their culture and uh, and how they do things as well. So yeah, kind of, and, but I wouldn't have had all that, um, you know, wouldn't have had that prior knowledge to be able to ask her all those questions if I hadn't done a bit of research beforehand. Hmm. Yeah. I've, what do you, so the novels to kind of understand the, what makes the country tick. And then do you usually just look at like an online resource or do you look for a book that kind of has uh, information on tipping practices, whether you should shake hands or hug, that kind of stuff? For those kind of things, those kind of cultural etiquette things, I generally just will Google it. And usually, I mean, you know, thank goodness for bloggers. There are, you know, lots and lots of resources usually these days for yeah. any destination to be able to find out kind of those basics in a nutshell. So, so those, yeah, that I just tend to Google. And then for the I don't know, the more in-depth uh, esoteric stuff that I'm curious about, then it will be novels or TV, you know, Netflix series or movies or, uh, you know, I try and just kind of immerse myself in anything that's connected to that country before I get there. Do you ever try to learn special phrases that only people in that country would say? Um I have tried in the past, but um, but because it's so unusual to hear a tourist say anything like that, then I think people just look at me funny. So I, I tend to <laughs> trying to really the... fit in, but you're actually yeah. standing up more. Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. Okay. I think I just look like a tryhard, so <laughs> I um, I try to stick with the the you know the the typical kind of uh, shopping phrases and please and thank you and. Uh, where's the toilet and please. So yeah, (laughs) stick to those. But I definitely always try and learn a few, you know, at least a few words of the language. Like I think that's really, really important too. Even if all you can say is hello, please. And thank you, you know, makes a huge difference. Right. Right. I agree. So uh, to wrap up the research phase of this, what's should someone pay attention to what's calling them to the destination and make sure that, they're traveling with purpose. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite ways to to visit a place is through kind of a different lens each time. So for example, um, a a couple of years ago when I took my son to Japan, I had lived in Japan for two years long before he was born. So I've seen a lot of Japan already and I knew a lot about it. And um, I don't know if you've either of you've been to Japan, but there's there's a billion different things you could see and do and explore because it's such a different country. And obviously we only had three weeks or something. We couldn't uh, do any, even, you know, it was just a small portion of those things. So I kind of thought about through the lens of, I want my son to understand what it was like when I lived here. And so we did a few kind of day tours of me just leading him on the train to show him the schools that I'd taught at, the apartments that I'd lived in, my favorite restaurants and stuff like that. So it was kind of a um, the sentimental tour, I suppose. Um, similarly, uh, uh, at Christmas time, we're heading to back to Europe, uh, and my son's current really obsessive interest is soccer, and he has a favourite team, which happens to be a German team. And so, like this time, the lens is is soccer. So we're going to, you know, we're planning to go to the stadium and the stadium tour. We're going to get tickets to a game. We're going to, you know, all these things. And um, you know, it's just a different way because that way, you, I also, even though I'm not quite as obsessed with soccer as he is. 
not even close, but I don't mind it, thankfully. But, uh, you know, it's a way to mix with the locals and see, you know, they'll obviously, there'll be, you know, 99.9% of the people there will be Germans who are supporting their local German team. And so that'll be a great way to, you know, mingle with the locals and see what it's like to be, you know, a real German living there. So, <laughs> yeah, so fun. I think following That's your really cool. kind of passion is cool. Yeah, right. yeah I like that. Right. What is his team? Uh, Bayern München, the yeah. Munich team. Yeah. <laughs> is that your yeah. team, Elliot? Yep. Oh, yeah. excellent. Oh, he'll be very excited to hear that. <laughs> I mean, do you do Australians call it soccer or did you just do that for us? Uh, no, we also call it soccer because we have okay. um, Australian rules football. So that's our football is. Uh, gotcha. our, yeah. Okay. So we do call it soccer. Yeah. All right. All right. I didn't so translate it for you. I wasn't sure. I, I <laughs> didn't realize that anybody else called it soccer. Yeah. 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 No, we do the same. Yeah. Um, all right. So to, to, to catch up, we, you do your research uh, and then you find your passion and see how it can translate to the country. That's kind of where we are, just to, to sum it up. Okay, so now you're at your destination and you want to put your research to practice. What are some ways that that a person can use their trip uh, as a learning experience and for themselves and, and be thoughtful along the way? Well, there's lots of ways. There's... Um... I know it sounds a little bit, I don't know, counterintuitive to the, I mean, sometimes we equate travel with a holiday. And so then this sounds counterintuitive, but when I travel, I like to have a goal, like something I really want to know more about or something I want to achieve. And so I focus on that, not in an obsessive, you know, I have to tick this off the list kind of way, but just to keep it in mind. Uh, and so, for example, you know, finding out more about the Danish education education system would be one. Or, you know, really exploring the food in Japan could be another. So I guess having those things in mind and finding ways to experience those things better. Uh, but the number one thing I think to achieve that and achieve kind of anything is to take every chance you can to talk to the local people. And there's lots and lots of different ways I've found to do that. You know, sometimes it might be even taking a day trip or a day tour, with, you know, in a small group because you'll get to meet local guides and, you know, they're paid to talk to you. So they're definitely going to talk to you like that's, you know, and they're knowledgeable and interested in meeting foreign people. So that's one way. Um, I just tend to, I mean, over the years, travel has made me very confident in talking to strangers. That's one of the many things I think that travel has taught me. I used to be quite shy and now I'll talk to anyone. Uh, especially in a foreign country. And so I'll just kind of take any opportunity I can to have a good chat to someone. So, you know, whether it's because we're standing in line at a, you know, waiting to get into a museum or, you know, the waitress in a restaurant or, you know, anyone, I will find a way to talk to them. My son has this habit now of rolling his eyes because he sees me getting into these deep conversations and he's like, oh, here we go again. We're going to be stuck here for 15 minutes again. But um, <laughs> I hope I'm just actually role modeling great behavior. But uh, often it's, you know, talking to the locals where I'll find out, a, you know, the things I really want to know more about. That is a reoccurring theme with when we talk to people about what makes travel special to them. It always comes down to the people. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, what are these locations without the, the people that you meet? Uh, you know, you could stare and look at a building all you want, but if there's no history behind it, if there's no personality to it uh, based on the people that live and, and work through it, I don't know, the, the trip loses significance. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I can, I've seen that, especially traveling with a child. He's like a really curious kid anyway, but still it's not the same if you stood him in front of a, you know, a museum full of like stuff to read, you know, compared to, for example, we were in Cambodia a couple of years ago and we got to meet a woman who was in her 80s, 70s, 80s, and she told us the story about how she had actually lost all her siblings during the Khmer Rouge, you know, the Pol Pot's regime. And, um, you know, that is something that, you know, being able to talk to her has stuck with, well, me as well, but especially my son, way more than any kind of, you know, museum visit or history documentary or anything ever would, because it's a real person who's had this real experience. So. Right. Yeah. And one thing I want to talk about is, and we briefly touched on it at the beginning, is when people are traveling to less resourceful or less privileged countries, um, finding the line between actually being a thoughtful traveler versus, and I think Bob actually did some research on this. Um, the term is like either white savior or white savior complex and wanting to help and actually hurting more than helping. And it's mm. more just about your, your ego and your self-esteem and like wanting to give, but just because you want to give, not actually knowing what they want. 
yeah, giving because it feels good to you, but yeah. not really. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big and a really important issue. Uh, there's lots I have to say about it, but, um, you know, the basic for a start, if we go back to the idea of volunteer tourism that, yeah. you know, started off being, you know, very altruistic and quite small scale and useful, but these days so many people want to, uh, do a kind of a volunteer trip, uh, that, there's you know they kind of there's quite an industry in creating volunteer trips that might be doing things that are completely not needed or unnecessary uh there's also the idea that if you go somewhere you know the typical thing is you know to you know build a building for someone but then they'll take these volunteers who have no experience in building buildings and they'll go there and they'll do it but they've actually taken that work away from local people so often it's really just the money that you need and not the feel good experience of actually physically helping them out with something. So that's a, another part of it. Um, I mean, there's horrifying things going on in the world, like the orphanage tourism idea in places like Cambodia, where there are orphanages that you can visit, but in fact, the kids in there have parents, but their parents have sent them there or they've you know been kind of taken in some cases just because it's a money-making service. And so that orphanage is really just a kind of a front for someone making a lot of money, Ooh. but at the expense of these kids who actually do have parents, but they're sometimes they're bust in for the day or sometimes they live there, you know, longer term. And, you know, I mean, it's horrifying to think of that. And then, you know, Westerners come along and think that they're doing something good because they're meeting these kids who <laughs> need help, blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, fully white savior kind of stuff. It's wow. horrifying. So I have yeah. not heard of that. No. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. Like it's heartbreaking to think about this sort of stuff, you know, especially, you know, as a parent of a kid to think that that, you know, that you would think that that, oh, it's horrifying. But um, yeah, right. so that's Jeez. kind of a good example of it being, yeah, there's, it's really hard to know the right way to help people. But I, I guess my best way I've found so far is to find usually small companies who are doing really sustainable long-term um or have a really sustainable and long-term approach. Like I've gone on trips with companies who are working long-term with locals in another country and helping them to create something that they can sustain, like helping them to create a tourism business. Um, for example, we went to a, um, a little village in Fiji that had been affected by a cyclone and they, you know, were really needing some, uh, some you know, they're really poor, more poor than the areas around them, needed some help. And the company that we went with had helped them to set up a business where they would um, have a, like a cultural lunch for groups of visitors. So they you know, taught them how to set up the business and what they'd need to do and like things like hygiene and stuff so that um, that all worked out. And then tourist, small tourist groups would come in, spend the day with them. They would all, we would all cook together. Uh, you know, we would have like a, a carver ceremony together and, uh, you know, all these kind of useful things and, you know, and we would pay for that as a um as as tourists and that was their you know business that was beginning to become a sustainable thing to bring income to the village but it's really hard to wow. figure out which of those you know where you can go to get the good stuff you know which right. is actually you know which which companies are really truly helping i think you know the only way is really to try and do as much research as you can that's and, what i was going to say uh, yeah, yeah. It, it ties back into the research which is is so important but one thing i want to say that so you know, wanting to help people and getting gratification from it, it isn't in itself a bad thing. Like it's okay to be motivated and feel good personally about doing good for other people. The thing is, like you, like we just mentioned, and like you just said, it's important to make sure that the thing that you're doing actually uh, is beneficial to the people that you're helping. And it isn't, there isn't some facade. Um, yeah, that's that, that blows my mind with the orphanage thing. It's horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Truly yeah. Horrifying. So, yeah. so the research should should consist of, around making sure that the people you want to help need the help you want to give, right? So, and and that should be the the goal. That's the number one goal. Don't don't go in with the mind I want to help someone this way. What do they need, and how can I help in that way? And feel good about it because you're doing good and you're you're genuinely helping people. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. Right. Yeah. You should yeah. feel good about it because it is a you could do anything with that money and it is good. It's a good thing to be doing with it, but yeah, make sure you do research and you know, it's causing no harm for a start right. and hopefully right. being really beneficial and sustainable in the longer term. You know, there's no point giving someone a handout. Uh, for example, when we went to this village in Fiji, 
they said to us, don't bring um, like gifts for the kids. Don't bring lollies. Don't bring little toys because then that kind of sets them up for this. Oh, that's what Westerners do. When the tourists come, they bring us all this stuff and we just will wait for it the next time kind of thing. So we, they said it's fine to bring some secondhand clothes. So, you know, we collected some of them and took them and they would share them out to the kids that needed them, but not to give them this expectation or this kind of, I don't know, building up this, um, this, this thinking that the Westerners will just come along and give us stuff. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to do this work ourselves either. So yeah, it's right. so yeah. tricky though. It's it is. Yeah. Another thing that I want to mention is the, you need to consider the amount of time that you have, <clears throat> because if you only have two weeks to go to a country, you need to find something that you want to give back that can be done in two weeks. The, the your time frame for which you can help has a big impact on how far that help goes. And if you go to a country and you only spend two weeks there and then you leave, and and it doesn't actually you know gain traction you your time there is useless so considering the time that you have in a location really can determine the impact that you make if you have 6 months to give then i'm sure you you, you can you can definitely give a lot more than someone <clears throat> who's traveling off of a 2 week vacation that being said you know just because you only have 2 weeks doesn't mean you should try to try you shouldn't try to help out but yeah just absolutely be, yeah. yeah be cognizant of the time frame you have and and, and what you can do with your time ultimately. Yeah, spot on. So I think a major part of thoughtful traveling is not just feeling thoughtful and being mindful while traveling, but also reflecting on it. So what do you recommend in terms of journaling and how often do you actually go back through your journals? Mm, mm, Good question. So I've done lots of different things over the years when it comes to journaling. Uh, I'll tell you at the moment what I do is I uh, kind of do a, a bullet point journal while I'm there. So, you know, just dot points every day, reminding myself of the most important things. Uh, I've, I've come about, I used to write really long form stuff, but that was more when I traveled with my son and he would go to bed and a couple of hours before me and I would be in a, in a room for a couple of hours with an evening, you know, just to myself and I couldn't leave obviously. So I would write beautiful long form journals, but now he's really annoying and he goes to bed like at the same time or after me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm like, I'm ready for bed. And so, so I've gone to this kind of, you know, I don't have that much time bullet kind of bullet form. Uh, But you know, that's enough to jog my memory. Uh, I often go back to those uh, and just kind of, you know, it's amazing what a few dot points can remind you of, but I also put together kind of um, a really cheat, a cheat, a cheat and quick version of a photo book so that we've always got books to hang on to and have a look at at home. I throw them into, you know, the companies that will print your photos into a book form. I just also back in the day, I would like type in captions and do all this fancy stuff. Who has time for that? Not me anyway. So I, um, I throw the photos into the format, um, leave some blank spots and then I get the books back. And then of an evening over, over a period of time, I'll sit there with a Sharpie and, and just handwrite in, you know, some memories that fit with those pictures. So those are the kinds of things I do to, uh, to have like a physical kind of re- you know, memory that helps us reflect because my son and I will often look at those books and, yeah. you know, just remember about the same things. I also have lots and lots of photos up on the, on our walls and we'll often just, you know, kind of focus on one and, you know, reminisce about that particular moment or that particular day and, um, yeah, I think that that's important. And in terms of like, I think it's really important to reflect on uh, how travel changes us um, on our you know kind of self development and that kind of thing. It's something that I came came to by accident really because uh, when I first started traveling a lot and I was living abroad as well, I realized within kind of a year or so that my personality had kind of fundamentally changed. And I thought, whoa, like, this is weird. You know, what's travel doing to me? But, you know, thankfully in a positive way. And so ever since then, I've been kind of really, um, I guess, mindful and intentional about noticing how travel changes me and trying to make travel change me more, often by like stretching my comfort zone or, you know, taking more risks or, um, yeah, just kind of noticing, I suppose. So I often think about that, um, perhaps um, perhaps a little obsessively, but, you know, I do run a podcast all about thoughtful travel. So I get to talk to lots of people who've had similar experiences and that helps me to reflect on on my own as well. So 
Yeah. yeah. So I'm perhaps not the typical person. I'm <laughs> perhaps more obsessed than the, than the average, but, uh, but just, you know, even on the plane, on the way home, sitting back and thinking, you know, what's different about the way I think after experiencing this trip? Uh, and, you know, what do I want to take back into my life now that, you know, I've seen, I've seen the light about this or this topic, you know, what can I change or do I want to change anything or not, but at least reflecting on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so starting with the journal, I am a huge fan of the travel journal. Elliot found that out in Peru. So oh, yeah. I started I started a travel journal. My first one was on my honeymoon with my wife where we traveled to the Balkans. And oh, awesome. to 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 go back and open it and read through our experiences, you can immediately bring yourself back to the feelings that you had while you were there. Uh, you know, we wrote down the the dinners we had and you can bring yourself back into those moments more so than a picture does because you're reading your own thoughts that were jotted down in that moment. And it's really, it, it's, it's so cool. It's one of the coolest things that I've ever done was, was <laughs> write out our honeymoon as we did it. And I, awesome. I could not recommend that people do that more. Yeah. So that's something that I want to do now. I have a, so my daughter will be two when I go to Italy. And something that I want to do is write out her first trip, her first international experience, what she did, you know, how she, she should write it, <laughs> how she experienced the food, you know, and to to coincide with the pictures that she'll eventually go through. And yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that she really enjoys it. So, <laughs> well, only time will tell. But yeah, I, I I think that if if you even if you don't like to write, do the bullet point thing you know, that you, that you were mentioning at a minimum, yeah. um, even if it's in your phone. And, and I think that you would, you'll be surprised by how, how much it, it'll mean to you later on in life. You know, oh, that, that idea came to me actually when I was in Thailand with this guy and he, he was writing down the things that we were doing that day in his phone. And I was like, why? He's like, you know, he goes, when I get back, I have a horrible memory. And people ask me what I did. And honestly, I can't remember. So this way, I open up my phone and I said, and I tell them the things that I, <laughs> I did. I went here. I did this. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And it made yeah. sense. I was in Thailand. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're traveling for an extended period of time, you you do. You forget the things that you do. They all blend together. You don't remember what you did on what day. And so to organize your thoughts while you're doing them, it, it has tremendous benefits down the road, especially if you're just oh, traveling absolutely. nonstop the way. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, when people. I look back on my journals, I've got like lots of journals from when I lived abroad. And so now that's, I mean, it's 19 years ago that I started that, which sounds like so far away, but now I'll open them and there's stories in there that I completely forgot happened. And as soon as I read them, I completely remember, but I've never, I feel like I never would have remembered otherwise, you know, they would just be lost to history and, you know, just, just little things, but really entertaining or, you know, just quirky or weird. And I'm yeah, so yeah. glad that I have those. So, yeah. the, the, the journal that my wife and I wrote for our honeymoon, we alternated days. So oh, cool. you have, you have the perspective of her one day, then it's back to me, then it's her, then back to me. Sometimes we would just pick it up midday. So it would transition in writing style. And we were having, you know, inside jokes, you know, I complained about her taking too long to get ready for when we went out to dinner, but then she picked <laughs> up the journal entry the next time and she explained to herself why she was running late. And so it really turned out That's to be awesome. yeah, a phenomenal travel journal. <clears throat> so, well, with my yeah. son. So when he was, I think four or five, four or five, I suppose he was in pre-primary here. So before the first grade and we had a, a month or so in Europe and his it was during school time and his teacher gave him a, a, an empty notebook before we left and said, okay, you need to um, write a sentence every day and draw a picture every day. And of course he, because his teacher told him and not me, he took it very seriously. And so every day he would sit down and draw a picture and write a sentence or two. And it's fascinating to see from his perspective as a, he must've been five, I suppose, um, to see what he thought was important. So I always remember one day uh, we were in London kind of for a few days on the way to Iceland and I thought, you know, London, it's amazing. He's heard all about, you know, the bridge and Big Ben. And, we've, you know, we did all these amazing sightseeing things today. And then he wrote, sat down in the evening to write his thing. And all, he's, all he wrote about and drew was, we went to this pub, he wrote the name, and we had a hamburger and I had the big orange juice. <laughs> he didn't care about Big Ben or the Tower of London, all these amazing places. He just remembered that. And, you know, to this yeah. day, we still talk about it. And I still remember that meal as well. And he does remember seeing Big Ben and all of that stuff too. But, you know, everyone's got a different perspective and there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah. That big really orange funny. juice is the most important thing at that time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> big Ben's just another big tower. Yeah. It's like, oh, you whatever. You can say that any old day, but when you're five and your mum doesn't let you have a big orange juice very often, then that's exactly Right. The impact that has. Yeah. So that, that's actually one of the questions that I had was how do you make sure or how do you promote uh, thoughtful travel to a child to make sure that they do get the most out of their trip? Well, I mean... It sounds a bit awful, but it's dead easy because basically as a parent, you can brainwash them. So, <laughs> I mean, you know. Parenting 101. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, my, my son's grown up always traveling a lot. He's been really lucky and always having me talk about travel and even things like, um, you know, when he would be playing on the floor with his cars or whatever, we would talk about, you know, oh, they're driving to Berlin and now they're driving to London and, you know, just little things like that that made him always think about the world as being somewhere that's accessible that, you know, he gets to go and see. It's not like everywhere's, it's not like Mars. It's, you know, everywhere yeah. is possible. Um, and in Perth, terms of Perth being, is kind of like Mars. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It might as well be Mars sometimes. Um, but in terms of of him becoming a thoughtful traveller, again, I think it's much easier to convert a child to being a thoughtful traveller than an adult because, you know, children have like really pure minds and they don't think, their first instinct is not the way, you know, not to think that difference is bad or to, you know, like... You know, I always remember when he had a classmate who um, his parents were from Vietnam, but I was trying to describe him to my son and say that, you know, he looks Asian. And my son had no concept of that. Like he didn't realise that he looked any different because they don't think of that. They just think of that. That's his friend who he played trucks with in, you know, kindergarten or whatever. Uh, And so when we've travelled to countries where, you know, there's obviously a really big difference in, you know, in our privilege, where we obviously have a, you know, a lot of privilege and a lot of wealth compared to them, then I think it's just natural for a kid to to notice that and to to really understand, oh my goodness, I'm so lucky because, you know, my house has walls and, um, you know, like in Cambodia, we played soccer with these kids who um, it wasn't a soccer field. It was just um, a slightly cleared area, but the grass was high and really prickly and um, you had to kind of crawl over this kind of muddy, I don't know, brook to get to it and over, you know, it was awful and there's no goals or anything. They just had some trees set up. But the kids had a ball, you know, they they were running around, they are having a lot of fun. My son joined in with them. They were all having a great day. And I think, you know, for him, because that's, a, you know, something that he's, he likes, it's important to him, he could see the clear differences but at the same time, he could see that kids are exactly the same as him wherever they are, you know, and that's something I always think that as a thoughtful traveller, you, you, you learn that quickly, that although we all have some differences, we're also all exactly the same, really, you know, people are people and we have, you know, generally the same desires and wants and needs and stuff. And so, yeah, so, to, so it's a long, long-winded answer, but I think to summarise, um, it's easy for kids to become thoughtful travellers. If, if you, as a parent, influence them and you can take them out and show them, or even if you can't take them and show them much stuff, but you can explain to them what the world is like, then they're predisposed to thinking in a more thoughtful way. Mm. Good to know. Makes, makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you get the effort you put into to teaching them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the last question I think we have on thoughtful travel before we go into travel books, which I'm very, very, very excited for. (laughs) What are some tips to ensure that the traveler once home can reflect on their trip and maybe absorb or take something specific from it? I I mean, I think we already touched up on that just by going through the thoughtful travel process, but are there anything, is there anything that you would recommend someone do once they're home, they're sitting back down on their couch and they're looking back on their experience? Oh, I mean, I think, you know, as we kind of touched on having physical ways to look back on your experience is really important so that you do do that regularly, uh, you know, whatever way you choose to do it. Uh, If you can find friends to talk to about what you've experienced now, you know, often uh, it's the, you know, the bane of a traveler's life is you come home and nobody cares where you've been, you know. Uh, But fortunately, I think, especially thanks to the internet, it's much easier these days to find people who care. Uh, Certainly I have through my podcast found, you know, incredible number of good friends who not only care, but have a lot of questions for me about, you know, a place that, you know, wherever I've just come back from. So 
although you know there's usually going to be the most people of your daily life don't really care about your trip there are some people and uh, i milk them for all they're worth because <laughs> i but i also reciprocate so um you know i think it's really interesting to find people to have a good chat to the kind of friends who will ask you you know well how was that place different or you know what's it really like there or what did you learn or you know how you know did it change you in some way like it's possible to find those kind of friends to talk to about it so um and i think just um just you know kind of a self reflection process and really noticing what you've brought back from that country often you know on especially i find on the plane on the way back i'm full of enthusiasm and creativity and ideas and sometimes it's really easy to land and then suddenly you're back in you know so called normal real life and yeah. it's easy to forget all those things so I, I will often like make notes on the way home and you know look back on them later but i also try really hard to bring bring things into my daily life like when we came back from denmark we, um, you know, they have this concept of huga, which is, you know, this coziness and this, you know, kind of warmth between people and that kind of stuff. And, and one aspect of it is having candles lit regularly. And so now um, we'll ha quite regularly have dinner with a bunch of candles lit. And honestly, I never would have done like it, very rare that I'd even light one candle. But I learned from Denmark <laughs> that there's this, you know, magical effect, basically, when you have like three or four candles glowing, like it's kind of a, a weird, you know, I don't know. It's the secret to Danish success or maybe, I don't know. It was amazing. So we'll do stuff like that or, um, you know, lots of different little things that I, you know, try and bring back that make a little bit of a difference and remind us of what we learned from somewhere right. else. Yeah. Just like making a conscious effort to, to sustain some of the things that you learned and not just let them go to, go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause we, you know, you invest a lot of time and money into traveling. So you want to kind of extend that benefit as long as you possibly can. Hopefully right. forever. Yeah. I, so I learned the hard way when I came back from Thailand, which was my first international experience, that people, most people, they're, they're not going to understand. And you can't let that frustrate you because they weren't there and they didn't experience it. So for you to just translate your trip to someone who might not even be a big traveler, they, they're just not going to get it. And so you just need to accept that. And yep. I've now learned to who, who is interested in travel and who wants to learn about my trip and focus it that way. Thankfully, we, we are part of a travel community now where I talk exactly. about travel quite often. So I don't really have to seek out um, other people in my lives that might not care, that don't want to hear me talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it, that is something to consider when you return that, you know, not everybody's going to understand. Yeah. I know it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> right, I guess yeah. I don't want to hear a blow by blow description of someone's cricket match that they've just come from. So right, right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually took someone by surprise one day. So he was a friend of a friend who I had met that day and we're hanging out and he's like, you know, I just got back from Iceland and I'm like, Oh, how was it? And he, he's like, Oh, it was really cool. He's like, you know, I, I we flew to the city. I was like, Oh, Reykjavik. Right. I was like, did you do the, you know, the crater drive? And he's like, wait, how do you know? anything about Iceland. And he was kind of, he was taken back because I don't think there was anybody that engaged him the way that I did about his trip. You know, I knew some of the traditional dishes and the hikes and it was, it was really funny to see it from his perspective, just like, you know, who, who are you? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> and why are you asking me very specific <laughs> questions about the, you know, the geography of a foreign country? <laughs> and so yeah. that, that was pretty funny to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet he loved chatting to you. Yeah, yeah, he was. He he ended up asking me about his next trips. Um, it actually turned <laughs> awesome. into a pretty extensive conversation. Yeah. So, uh, so you ready to talk books, Elliot? I'm ready. I know you are. We're Elliot and I are both pretty big readers. Um, how many books did you read last year, Elliot? Did you, did you keep track? I, I as much as I want to be a big reader, it's it's finding the time to do it. So I think I only got through five or six last year. It's still pretty good. I I hit about eight, and I should say that most of mine are. Uh, in audible version just because by the time I get home I, I I crash and most of my reading is done in the car commuting wherever that may be so mm, let's not. let's start this way Amanda what are some of your favorite travel books well um I've been thinking about this because there's lots but I narrowed it down uh to a couple so one is in fact I ha ooh, have that one right here so I'll show you um Alain de Botton's The Art of Travel. So I don't know if you know him. He's British. He's a philosopher. And The Art of Travel is kind of like a Bible for being a thoughtful traveler. 
uh, I mean, it starts off where he goes to Barbados and, you know, talks about what it's like being, you know, in a tropical place. And then I think it's like the second day or the end of the first day, he says um, he's realised this, um, I can't remember exactly, but paraphrasing, he's realised this most horrifying thing about travelling is that you bring yourself with you. he still actually has all these things going on in his head and being on this tropical paradise didn't solve everything but um so anyway it's it's very kind of a philosophical approach to travel but really uh, it's just a fabulous book um and so that's one of my favorites and the other one that i wanted to pick as my favorite was um the great railway bazaar one of paul saru's early books so paul saru is one of my favorite travel writers and the great railway bazaar it's probably from the 80s or 90s 80s probably i don't know it's old um but in that book he rides the trans-siberian railway and for years after I read that and reread it, I was desperate to go on the Trans-Siberian and I eventually did. And so that was kind of one of those um, books that really inspired me to go somewhere new and see something that I really, really wanted to see. So, Can I ask, yeah. was it everything that you expected it to be? And more. It was amazing. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> yes. I mean, fair question, because when you've been thinking about it for all that time, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's risky. Isn't all that it? hype. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was brilliant, amazing. All right, all right, Bob. What are your What are some of your favorite travel books? So, so I, I thought of it when I was writing, you know, I, the questions for for Amanda, and I didn't realize how many of my books were revolving around the Amazon jungle and like Amazonian <laughs> exploration. And so, one of my favorites of all time was The River of Doubt, which was Teddy Roosevelt's exploration. And basically, um, when they went to find, oh, I can't. I, I, can't think of the word the survey they tr- they went to survey of this river known as the river of doubt which is a tributary of the amazon river and he went with uh, a local guides and he ended up getting really sick ultimately it, he died from what what he endured while there but it, it was such a cool read because it was so long ago and this type of trip was unheard of except especially for someone of his status to just go into the amazon jungle um, it, it, that, that book blew me away. And then a lot of them, a lot of them ended up revolving around the Amazon jungle, the lost <laughs> city of the monkey God I loved, which is a relatively new book, national geographic photographer who went to the Amazon to look for this lost city, the lost city of Z, which is similar. They're, they're, they're sort of tied together. Turn right at Machu Picchu. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> Travel is a transformation. I don't know if you've read that one or, uh, no, I saw that in your notes. I have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah, that one was pretty good. And most of these were in Audible. Actually, no, you know, these were mostly hard copy. Yeah. Elliot, what about you? I actually have not read too many travel-specific books. Hmm. Um, a lot of mine are just other things I'm interested in. I think the one that's closest would probably be uh, Walkable City. So because I'm a civil engineer slash landscape architect and planner. This book focuses on how to make cities uh, more pedestrian friendly. Mm. And I mean, the full title is Walkable City, How Downtown Can Save America One Step at a Time. And I I absolutely love the book. And I think there's a lot that New World, as in United States and Australia, can learn because we have so much land and we end up sprawling. So I think it's mm-hmm. it's kind of tied into travel in the sense that it'll change the way our cities are. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so Amanda, I gave you a list of questions regarding books and I'm Indeed. curious to hear your answers. So I asked you what your favorite books were on the following travel topics. So thoughtful travel, adventure, a travel book to find oneself, more of a spiritual travel book, I guess, on culture shock, on food, and then finally a love story or someone who's traveling for love. Yeah. So yeah, I had take... to think about these a lot. For some I had a <laughs> hundred answers and for others I had to really, you know, really think hard, but it was, um, it was a good effort. So as part of my <laughs> podcast, I run the thoughtful travelers book club. And um, so, you know, we have various posts in our group with people suggesting books. So I could also go and mine those lists and think, Oh yes. Oh yes. I've read that. That's a good one. But um, okay. Let me start. So thoughtful travel, I've actually already given that one away because that was um, the art of travel. Like for me, that is 
the Bible of thoughtful travel yeah, until I write is, one. <laughs> that one has made it up uh, to the very to the top of my my reading list. I'm really excited it's, to look into that. It's really one. fascinating. Yeah, it's quite different, but really. Um, so we when we read it in the Thoughtful Travelers book club, um, it was very popular. I was a bit unsure if it would be well received, but it was um, unanimously popular. So Great. it must be quite transferable. Okay. Um, adventure. Now I'm not an adventurous traveler. I mean, not in the physically adventurous way, but I have had some adventurous friends over the years. So they, their books came to the top of my list. So, uh, I actually have a, a Perth, well, Western Australian based friend, uh, Pam Lynch, who wrote a book called, uh, how the hell did I get here? I think I've got that right. Something <laughs> like how the hell. Anyway, so she in her sixties after never having done any physical adventure, decided she would trek to Everest Base Camp and um, and managed to do that. And you know, she never. Wow. I always think that's really inspiring because I'm, you know, I can walk all day, but I don't think I'm very good at going uphill. And, <laughs> um, and you know, she's some twenty years old, twenty plus years older than me, and at, at sixty suddenly decided that she would go to Everest Base Camp. And since then, she's actually been twice and was in Nepal um, or in Kathmandu when the earthquake hit a few years ago yeah. and, um, you know, had all these really interesting, intense experiences. And that's what goes into, that's what's gone into that book. So wow. I find that, yeah, quite inspiring hmm. adventure. And um, what else have I written? Oh, yeah, um, I met a guy, Rick Antonson. He's a Canadian who came on my podcast a while ago and he sent me a bunch of his books uh, and he's much more adventurous than me and he uh, had walked the Kokoda Trail in Papua New Guinea, which, uh, as I understand, may not be particularly well known in the Northern Hemisphere, but to Australians, um, it's a really significant place from um, from the World War Two. And so his book called Walking with Ghosts in Papua New Guinea, I have just finished reading and it was, um, it made me realise I'm not going to do that walk, let me put it that way. So <laughs> <laughs> it's beyond, like, you know, it's jungle and wet and it's beyond my level of adventure. That sounds it was like great it's right up my alley. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bob, I just remembered one of the books that we both read was uh, well, uh, The Weight no of barriers. No Barriers. No Barriers, yeah. 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 And it, uh, Eric Weinmayer, he's one of the, he's a blind adventurer and oh yeah he was the first one to hike mount everest he was and the no barriers book talks about a little bit about everest but more so about all of it leading up to his navigating the grand canyon solo in a kayak right. with a team wow yeah that's amazing hey he takes it to a different level <laughs> yes, he does <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i'm um i'm culturally adventurous right <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right yeah uh yeah um okay i'll keep going on my list so you wanted a book about finding yourself and uh i have just read one this year which was exactly that so uh, actually an aussie writer named laura waters wrote a book called bewildered which was actually about um hiking from the top to the bottom of new zealand but it was also about um, she left her job in Melbourne um, riddled with anxiety and like mental health issues and, you know, really not sure what to do. And by the end of this five month trek, she had definitely found herself and um, was really, yeah, it was very relatable, but very inspiring kind of read. So it sounds um, similar like to wild. You, yes, I guess. Yeah, it, it is similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 interesting. The, um, the Aussie New Zealand version, perhaps. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, your next thing was culture shock. Now, this is so. This is me. I'm culturally adventurous. This is. Uh, I had a hundred books I could have put here, <laughs> but I I narrowed it down to two. Okay. Uh, one was about Denmark because I keep talking about Denmark lately, and it's actually also the book we just read for the Thoughtful Travelers Book Club last month. Um, but I reread it because uh, it was something I'd already read. Uh, in preparation for my trip to Copenhagen, but it's called The Year of Living Danishly <laughs> uh, by Helen Russell. And so she moved, uh, that she's British, and she and her husband moved to rural Denmark, in fact, uh, a few years back because he got a job with Lego. So he got oh, the dream job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she didn't really want to leave England, but, you know, her husband got dream job with Lego, and so reluctantly she went. Uh, and But she was a journalist, so she... Uh, documented that year really cleverly about looking she decided to look into you know Denmark often comes up in the high um, on the happiest countries place countries mm -hmm. list right and so she kind of documented like culturally why were they so happy and um, you know it was really really well written but really fascinating so that sounds really uh, interesting yeah 
it, it's an excellent, excellent book. Yeah. And um, lots to learn that we can take back to our own, own cultures. But she certainly had some moments of culture shock. My favourite, favourite story, I'll just tell it quickly, is she had a friend visit from Switzerland and lots of Danes have flagpoles and they discovered in their rented house they had a flagpole and their friend visited from Switzerland. So she thought, oh, well, it'd be fun. We'll put a Swiss flag up for him. So they took down their Danish flag that they had come with the house and they, she ordered a Swiss flag off eBay or something, put up the Swiss flag. And then they went to the airport to pick up their Swiss friend. Uh, they get him, come back to the house, and at the bottom of their flagpole are three men and three neighbours who they don't know very well, but they've had some dealings with them before because they came to tell them to, to recycle the rubbish differently. And then the three men say, um, eventually they explain, you can't put up a non-Danish flag. There are a lot of rules about the flags and, you know, this culturally, this is very important and it's very embarrassing to put up this big Swiss flag. And so they took the flag down, went inside and said, okay. And then um, not much later, there's a knock on the door and these neighbours have gone off and printed out the rules of how you can use the Danish flag and laminated the rules in the same time before they've come back so that they could give them this perfect copy that they would never, never damage or lose. Uh, and, you know, they made, found some English versions. So that was like the kind of culture shock they found themselves up against in rural Denmark. And so I just love That's that. hilarious. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, and just quickly, my other culture shock book is actually not far away. It's in Iceland. It's a book called Names for the Sea. Strangers in Iceland. It was by Sarah Moss. And similar situation. She moved to work in Iceland. And, you know, as you can imagine, quite a few cultural differences um, in Iceland as well. So, yeah. So those are my two favourites there. And I do have a couple more, don't I? Um, Food. Now, I'm not a big cook. I love to eat. I love to eat, but I'm not really obsessive about, you know, definitely trying all the foods when I travel and stuff. I, you know, not my specialty. I do love to eat. but I, it's an old classic, but, you know, Under the Tuscan Sun. Oh, uh, yeah. Low, I've heard of that. All that yep. great Italian food. That's the one I thought of because it's I a should... lovely, you know, it's a lovely book. Was that uh, and... made into a movie? Yeah, but I think was... if I recall rightly, the movie had a quite a different plot. So, but yes, it was made into a movie. I think it's kind of inspired by if I remember And right Under the Tuscan Sun just follows the food um, in Italy? Is that what it is? Um, no, so they, it's a couple who go to live there. They uh, American, I'm pretty sure. I think they're American, might be British, don't quote me, somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere where they speak English. (laughs) And and they buy a villa in Tuscany and then it's the process of them doing it up. But also like there's recipes throughout the book. So it's quite kind of, you know, they're getting to know the local foods, the local, um, the Tuscan specialties and stuff. So so it feels like a quite a foodie kind of book. Um, I don't have a good love story. No. <laughs> <laughs> All I could tell you is that I didn't. I don't like the the classic one. People would ask, especially women would answer, would be with "Eat, Pray, Love." And I didn't enjoy oh. Eat, Pray, Love at all. I had to stop halfway through. So Really? Uh, that yeah. one is incredibly popular, right? I know. I and, and so Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote it, I like her in all the other things she does, but I found Eat, Pray, Love just excruciating to read and I stopped halfway. I, wow. I really wanted wow. to at least get to the end of it to say I'd read it. I couldn't. Can you remind our listeners what that book is actually about? Uh, yeah, basically she travels to Italy and Bali and India like, oh, I'm not even sure, after a breakup, maybe after a bad breakup or, you know, looking for to find herself. And, you know, it's kind of that classic spiritual journey and um, meets some men in each place along the way, um, has various relationships. And yeah, that's all I can remember. Okay. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's very well known and lots of people love it, but I didn't. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's okay. That uh, I'm going to have to reevaluate whether or not I listen to it uh, now. Because- <laughs> I think there's other things I would I would put on your list first. I mean, that description doesn't really fit the uh, my reading preferences all too much. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it's because it's not about the Amazon. No, it, if it was a love story in the Amazon, does she get bitten by a snake? Because if not, I'm not interested. <laughs> I can confirm there are no Amazon, there's no Amazon and no snake bites in that yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome thank you for that that list and uh, so we're we're getting close to wrapping up here but i want to jump into your podcast and and can you describe what your podcast is and what people can expect to hear 
from, from yeah, a few sure. episodes? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. So it's called the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. And each episode, we have three, usually uh, three guests, not all at once, but um, extracts from conversations I have with three different guests uh, that all are about a common theme. So, for example, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had travel and anxiety. So, talking to travelers who either experienced anxiety you know, while traveling or travel had helped their anxiety, those kind of things. Uh, We had recently one, like a hiking episode where I had three people who talked about, um, you know, various big hikes and walking trips they'd done and, you know, what they'd learnt from them and the impact and stuff. Um, Actually, I think this week's is a more fun one. I have three stories of people who spoke to their their neighbouring passenger on a plane and had really interesting experiences, you know, how often you try and avoid talking to them just in case. But these three people had really great stories to tell about them. Uh, And sometimes we get heavier. Next, I think the week after that, we've got, um, I've got one about um, post-bushfire tourism in Australia and how that's kind of um, playing out and, you know, how we're, how those, especially the, you know, the areas really hit badly by bushfires, how they're rebuilding to, you know, try and get tourists back there and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's the podcast. It's that's um, a really interesting concept, having multiple perspectives in one episode on one topic. I like that idea a lot. I do too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted it just to be a little bit different. Of course, what I've done is create a whole lot extra work for myself. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's turns four this month. So we've, I've been doing it for four years. So it's now much quicker than it used to be. I've, you know, kind of yes. streamlined my processes and, you know, it means I get to talk to so many really cool, really interesting people. Uh, I can't travel as much as I would like to, you know, because I live here in Mars. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so at least being able to talk to lots of people about their trips is a good close second to being able to travel more myself. Right. That's that we, we can, uh, we can agree with you on that one. Yes. Yeah. So where can everybody reach out to you? What are your websites? Uh, what, where are your podcasts located? Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Sure. Well, um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search for the Thoughtful Travel Podcast and you will find me there. Uh, And in terms of my website and um, podcast show notes and everything, they're all at notaballerina.com. That's also my travel blog and Instagram, Twitter and everything. I'm at Amanda Kendall. All right. Now, really quick, why not a ballerina? That's what I was going to ask. Everyone wants to know that. Uh, (laughs) Really quick. I was three years old. I was dancing around in my grandmother's living room and she said to me, Amanda, you can be a ballerina when you grow up. And I was very angry, apparently, I don't remember, and turned to her and said, no, Nan, I'm not going to be a ballerina. I'm going to be a writer. And so when I started writing, I decided to call my blog Not a Ballerina. So there, Nan, I didn't become a ballerina. I became a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's, right. That's a cool story. Yeah. Well, well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Morning for us, evening for you. It has been a pleasure talking with you about thoughtful travel, and we are really excited to continue to follow your podcast, your blog, and hopefully we'll stay in touch and maybe have you back on the show. Yeah, that would be awesome. It's been really great to talk to you guys. Thanks so much. So the basis of this episode was be thoughtful, and there are plenty of resources that can help you be thoughtful as you travel. And I'm going to take a stab here and say that if you listen to our podcast and you've been listening to it, you probably already are some form of a thoughtful traveler. You wouldn't be listening to us if you weren't. And we appreciate that. There seems to be some kind of innate desire to learn and be kind to the people and the destinations you visit if you're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I really liked the way Amanda breaks down the, the process on how to be a more thoughtful traveler. And most of the questions that I had for her today were formed by actually reading her website um, and, and going through her blogs because she really, she just, she, she does it well. And it was really cool to actually have the opportunity to, to speak with her in a more intimate way and kind of pick her brain on, on these tips and tricks and the things that she's developed on thoughtful travel. And so, so that was, that was, it was a great conversation and I hope you enjoyed it. So the trivia question for Amanda is what is Amanda's favorite thoughtful travel book? If you know the answer and granted, there could be two possible answers here. She has a favorite and a second favorite. If you know either one, 
shoot us an email or direct message on social media. That email again is thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. Shoot us an email if you want to suggest some guests, some topics, or if you can take a minute out of your day to give us a rating. If you feel so kind, that would be absolutely amazing. And tune in next week for our next episode.